The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Welcome to What Catholics Believe. I am James Birch, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins of Immaculate Conception Church in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. Hello, Jim. We are going to continue tonight to tackle some of the questions that viewers have uh, sent in to us about Father's recent video on the indult mass. And the first question that we have tonight, Father, uh, has to do with uh, maybe a topic we've briefly touched upon before. And that is the idea that, um, what, what about the issue of uh, these traditional groups being split from uh, the Pope, the uh, uh, seat of Peter? And the uh, question is uh, that this uh, reader has close ties with a priest who says exclusively the traditional Latin Mass according to the 1962 rubrics. Now, we can assume maybe this is a Novus Ordo priest who does this or, or is part of some group who does this. But it's obviously a group that is um, somewhat at least in league with Rome because the reader feels that if he approached this priest regarding the points you made uh, regarding the indult mass, he would say that we cannot stray from Peter. We must remain within the jurisdiction of the local bishop because otherwise, regardless of how bad times are, we put ourselves out of the church. What priests like Father Jenkins propose is not dissimilar to Protestantism or the schismatic orthodox, and any participation in such would be sinful. So what would your reply to that be? Well, I think uh, on one level it might appear that way, but it's merely an appearance. Um, you see, the fact is that uh, historically, if you look back at where the Protestants came from and where the Orthodox came from, where the Orthodox churches and the Protestant churches came from, they were really a rejection of Catholic tradition entirely. Okay? Um, the uh, well, the the Orthodox, the Orthodox actually uh, broke away first. Okay, over a two hundred year period, consummated in ten fifty four. Okay, um, with the schism of Michael Cherularius, um, the Orthodox separated themselves from the Catholics. Uh, they, the church, they, they mutually excommunicated each other. Right, and. Um, that's where the, the various churches called Orthodox, the Russian Orthodox, the Armenian Orthodox, the Romanian Orthodox, the Ukrainian Orthodox, they, they all came from that same break, okay? <clears throat> there was an effort made in the 1400s to have a reunion, especially with the threat of the Seljuk Turks uh, bearing down on the walls of Constantinople. You know, the, the Eastern Orthodox uh, really had a very powerful incentive to try to get back in union with Rome. They needed the military uh, support there. Um, and some, in fact, did come back. Some of the Eastern Orthodox, not whole churches, but clergy and faithful did come back. And they're now known as the Uniates because they have been reunited with the church, the Catholic Church, okay? Um, so they're Eastern Rite Catholic. Um, but the, the issue there, see, was, um, well, among other things, 
uh, difference in uh, the use of the unleavened bread in the, in the West as opposed to the leavened bread in the East, the Orthodox. Uh, the use of the word filioque in the creed, a pope, and, sub and the subsequent council of the church added the word filioque to the Nicene Creed, and uh, the Orthodox objected to that, adding the word to the creed, which we read at Mass on Sundays, right? I won't go into the theology of all that, because that would become a very, that's a subject for a, another program or two, under itself, right? But the point is that uh, you did not have really the invention, the wholesale invention of a new religion. Okay, you did not have the wholesale rejection of Catholic tradition and the invention of an entirely new religion, the revision of the the mass and all the sacraments and new code of canon law and everything that followed after Vatican II. That was really a revolution, and uh, there is no comparison between the breaking away of the Orthodox and uh, the and uh, the uh, traditional Catholics. I mean, uh, frankly, um, the traditional Catholics are explicitly and avowedly traditional Catholics because they are, they are insisting on practicing the faith as it was practiced by all the popes before Vatican II. And it's a matter of record. I mean, this is what, this is what the Church actually taught. This is what the Church actually did. This is what all the saints actually uh, actually did in, in, their, in their practice of their faith. This is the Mass, the sacraments, where they worshipped, where they were sanctified, and in which they, they died. You know? I mean, that's a matter of historical record. You know? We are the continuation of that actual religion. Okay? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm only going to interrupt you because I think I have, an, I have an important question that maybe some viewers would have. And that is what you've described. So one of the issues in the Orthodox Church was that they objected to the changing of some part of the Mass. Mm -hmm. And so then they were excommunicated because of that. Uh, not, not the changing of the Mass, okay. in the sense that, uh, you might say, insofar that Nicene Creed is prayed in the Mass, and the word okay. filioque is in there. Sure. But there was no change in the rite of Mass. Okay. You know? um, and so would you... How would you describe that to someone who is maybe learning more about this, the idea that, well, how is that different than the, when the traditional Catholics say, uh, well, where do, we don't agree with, with what the Church is doing uh, regarding the prayers at the Mass, and so why, how, how is that any different than what the Orthodox did? Well, again, I mean, they were reacting to the introduction of the word filioque, okay? Mm -hmm. And they're reacting to the introduction of the word filioque by a Catholic authority, mm -hmm. by the Pope, see? And we're actually upholding what the Catholic popes taught all this time. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we cannot see that as a... Catholics cannot see that as a contradiction, that a pope added the word filioque, okay, mm -hmm. uh, to the Nicene Creed, because it does not contradict the previous theology of the Catholic Church, that the Catholic Church had approved. Okay. But here we have a wholesale, uh, not just a revision, uh, we have a, a, a wholesale uh, abandonment for, for the first 20 years after the Novus Ordo came out. A wholesale rejection and prohibition against the traditional Mass. A lot of the younger people today don't realize that. That for the first 20 years after the new Mass came out, the traditional Mass was banned, you know, practically universally, you know. And uh, there was a, there was a wholesale uh, condemnation ban banning of the traditional rites of mass, and then as the new sacraments came out, you know, the implementation of the new sacraments. That is not what happened at the time of the Orthodox. Uh, this is not only orders of magnitude 
different. This is an entirely different thing that happened. <clears throat> and, um, you know, if, you, if, if the Orthodox didn't like the adding of the word filioque, they couldn't point back in time and say, well, look, all of those popes until now condemned the use of the filioque and said it was wrong to do that, and now you have a pope who did exactly the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's exactly what happened with the Novus Ordo. We're looking back in the times of the papacy, and we're looking at the condemnation of the Protestant, the Protestant Revolution, and the, the Church explicitly condemned the very things that the Novus Ordo stands for. I mean, look at the Council of Trent. Anathema to those who say that the Mass is merely a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving and not a sacrifice offered in reparation for sin. <clears throat> well, does the Novus Ordo explicitly say that the Mass is not offered in, sacrifice, in, in, in reparation for sin? It doesn't explicitly say it. All it did was <clears throat> completely purge from, the, from their liturgy all statements of that fact. <clears throat> And it continually refers to itself as a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. So, in fact, de facto, it is saying this is a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. And it completely omits the idea that this, here and now, this is the sacrifice of Calvary. And this Mass itself is offered in reparation for sin to God. And not only that, I mean, you, you lay side by side the traditional Catholic prayers in the offertory and the Novus Ordo prayers in the offertory, and you see they have absolutely no relationship to each other because the traditional Catholic prayers of the offertory talk explicitly about offering a sacrifice in forgiveness of sin for the priest himself, for all the people gathered there, for all Catholics throughout the world, and for all the faithful living and dead throughout all time. That's a sacrifice of Calvary. That is not mentioned anywhere in the New Offertory. They have they've made a, a specific and direct and explicit <clears throat> effort to expunge it, you know, to erase it. It wasn't an accident, like, oops, where'd that go? Where'd the offertory go? <laughs> you know, they made it go away. <clears throat> so that never happened anywhere with the, with the Orthodox, you know. I mean, let's face it, if, if the Orthodox had a case that, look, all the popes until this, you know, this, this time said the filioque is wrong, is wrong, is wrong, you can't do it, it's condemned, Council of the Church condemned it, they'd have a case, wouldn't they? Mm -hmm. But they didn't have a case because that never happened. With the Novus Ordo, that's exactly what happened, though. Because the Church condemned the Novus Ordo. All of, all of the words, of the, you know, look back at Catholic tradition, you know. I mean, they, the Church condemned it under, as it was under the guise of Protestantism. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and the same with, with Protestants themselves. I mean, the Protestants... Uh, Again, they wanted to do what the modernists did. Basically, the modernists are actually the successors of Protestants. <coughs> because the Protestants said, well, this church has gone wrong. It's gone off the rails. It's followed its own traditions, but you become corrupt. So we have to go back and find the original Christianity, and we have to recreate primitive Christianity. The Protestants came up with this idea, see? Mm -hmm. The modernists are saying the same thing. We have to go back and try to get in touch with our roots, <clears throat> and do away with these traditional formulas of prayers and the Mass and go back to pure Scripture. That's what the Protestants said. I mean, theologically, <clears throat> theologically, the Protestants <clears throat> are the ancestors of the modernists in the modern church, in the Novus Ordo Church. And the, the, modern, the modernist <clears throat> Catholics, if you want to call them that, although it's an oxymoron, because modernism and Catholicism are diametrically opposed to each other, intrinsically opposed to each other. They cannot be reconciled. 
they have a very an opposite concept of even what faith is. You know, can you maybe? It might be good for the viewers right now to hear uh, because that that word modernism. What what, what if you could briefly? I don't know if it's possible. Explain <laughs> well, what for me. right. Explain what what modernism is to our viewers, just so they get an idea. When you say that, it's modernism is a complexus of ideas that were condemned by Saint Pius the Tenth. And not only by St. Pius X, but notably by St. Pius X in his encyclical Pescendi de Medici Gregis, in, uh, which appeared in September 8, 1907. Okay? <coughs> this modernist current had been growing in Protestantism, found its way into the Catholic Church in laity, <coughs> sometimes scholars who were teaching in Catholic uh, universities, and, and was getting into the clergy too. So when in 1907, Pope Pius X ripped the encyclical, Pescendi, he said, I have to publicize this. I have to make this uh, no, no, known by all, because I have tried <clears throat> already to appeal to the modernists, and they will not, they will not hear me. They will not reform. Um, so this, this had been going on for quite some time before 1907. And by 1907, and writing the encyclical, St. Pius X said, Now the modernists are within the very heart and the very veins of the church, which makes them the most dangerous enemies the, the church has ever known. Mm -hmm. Two reasons, he said. One is because they are within the church, in the clergy. Okay? He didn't specify priests, bishops, cardinals, popes, but he, obviously, <laughs> he was the pope. But, but he, uh, <clears throat> he did say they are within the clergy, which means in the heart and the veins of the church, and they also attack the very meaning of the word faith. They lay the axe to the, to the very virtue of faith. They destroy the very concept of what faith is. So when he says that modernism is the complexus of all heresies brought together, which is like a denial of all the truths of the faith, that's just another way of saying it's, it's apostasy. And I think the reason why he didn't use the word apostasy, apostasy is because modernism does no degrees. One can accept the principle of the modernists and still believe doctrines of the faith. But he, his concept of belief is different. You know? So you can have a modernist who is modernist in principle, has modernist ideas, but he hasn't yet applied those modernist principles to everything yet. Because when he does, when he applies the modernist principles to everything in the faith, he's lost the faith entirely. That's why St. Pius X said the ultimate outcome is going to be the loss of all faith. Mm -hmm. But he also you know, made it clear that this is a gradual thing. It's sort of like this, where you take the hemlock and you feel it gradually spreading throughout the body and deadening the body until finally death sets in. And so modernism is like a spiritual hemlock, uh, if we're referring to Socrates and his death, or alluding to that. But it is like that, you know, the scene of Socrates' death where he takes the hemlock and it just slowly, you know, saps him of, of life and finally he's just gone. It's a poison. So, you know, the, the, the modernists uh, have a very different idea of faith as the Protestants do. They do not have the same meaning of faith, any more than they have the same meaning of sacrament, or the same meaning of, let's say, Eucharist or communion. They use these words, but they don't have the same meaning that the Catholics do, which can be very deceptive to Catholics. <clears throat> and also very deceptive, not only in terms of dealing and speaking with Protestants, 
but in dealing with modernists, even in the Novus Ordo. A traditional Catholic is talking about a sacrament. Well, so is uh, Novus Ordo, a modernist, theologian, even. A traditional Catholic is talking about the Holy Eucharist, or the Eucharist, you know, a modernist is talking about Eucharist. And one who listens to them could be saying, well, that's funny, they're using the same words, but they're obviously they don't mean the same thing. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's right, they do not mean the same thing. Um, if you were to look at modernism in terms of the, uh, the uh, theological ramifications of the modernist principles, you would say that modernism is a descendant, a direct descendant of Protestantism. <clears throat> Traditional Catholicism is not. <clears throat> the, the clergyman you're talking about there, this gentleman is talking about, is one who looks only at juridical things. Okay, the Pope, <clears throat> and being subject to the Pope, if you're a Catholic, this is what happens, and so nothing else counts, right? Nothing else matters. Forget everything else. There's only one thing that matters. <clears throat> you have to be subject to the Pope. No matter what he says, no matter what he does, you have to accept him, because he's Peter, right? <clears throat> but he's completely ignoring the fact that, in fact, the Church herself has taught us through her own tradition and her own history that there are times when Catholics have to refuse to obey, even though they're, they're, they're absolutely convinced are valid popes. Mm-hmm. I give you the example of Honorius. Mm-hmm. Honorius I, very famous case, mid-early 600s, right? Uh, absolutely forbade Catholics to discuss the monothelite heresy following from the monophysite heresy that would deny the redemption, really, by taking away the active will, the active humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Right? And um, this was a very, very serious challenge to the faith, right? The patriarch of Constantinople, Sergius, was trying to come up with some kind of uh, vague, ambiguous uh, statement of faith that the heretics and the Catholics could both agree on without agreeing on the faith. Just a formula of words is all it was. You know? And uh, the, one of them who reported this, this uh, travesty back to Rome, back to the Pope, was Sophronius, the Bishop of Jerusalem. Honorius, the Pope at the time, uh, uh, committed the, 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 the worst crime a, a Pope can commit, I think, uh, and that is uh, just to tell the Catholics, be quiet, don't discuss this. And he left the field wide open to the heretics to preach their doctrines, and no one was allowed to, to uh, teach the truth and to show the error of the heresy because the Pope had forbidden them to speak. And not only that, to make matters worse, the emperor backed up the Pope's decree with a law that, uh, uh, that actually threatened severe penalties of those who would uh, discuss this and engage in verbal, you know, open discussion about this. So anyway, the result of this was that Catholic champions like Sophronius uh, saw what was happening and they said, this is an iniquitous command, we cannot obey it. And so he began to speak very clearly and defend the Catholic faith. Maximus the Confessor is another one. Again, the Church has told us. The Church has told us who was right and who was wrong. Before the century was out, within 40 years, 45 years after Honorius' death, the Roman Catholic Church, the Catholic Church condemned him, called him a heretic because he favored the heresy, excommunicated him from the Catholic Church. 
Pope Honorius I. I mean, excommunicated by the Catholic Church, explicitly. And the, the, the Pope who presided over the council was himself a saint, St. Leo II. And many of those who actually disobeyed Honorius were canonized by the Church. We still have the feast of St. Maximus, the confessor, St. Sophronius, Jerusalem. This is the Church speaking on that particular case. And there are many other cases in the course of history where popes failed. And the Catholic people resisted them to their face, just like St. Paul resisted St. Peter and condemned what he was doing because it was scandalous, okay? So one doesn't have to deny that somebody is a pope in order to take that action. One simply has to recognize reality and say, okay, the church has taught me that if this happens, I have to stand up. And if I don't, if I go along with an iniquitous command, then I am part of that iniquity. I'm favoring that iniquity and worthy of condemnation by the church, right? And those who are going along with this Novus Ordo, with its new sacraments and new mass and all that, which is basically a rejection of the traditional sacraments, because they have a, they have a different, as Cardinal Benelli said, ecclesiology. They have a different ecclesiology, they have a different concept of what the church is. Those who are going along with it, like the clergymen here, are, are playing a legalistic sort of game, but they're not following Catholic tradition. They're choosing to follow a man, right? They're choosing to follow a man rather than the voice of Catholic tradition. And all I can do is ask them to please educate themselves on what the church really teaches her faithful they should do at times like this. But the accusation that we are somehow following along the same lines uh, as the Protestants, and we are somehow following the same lines as the Orthodox because we do not follow Francis, I'm sorry, but that is ludicrous. Just to put a cap on the story, the very day I was ordained, there were 10,000 people who were there in Acone. And uh, with loved ones, I was there on kind of a rooftop level in Acone. And we looked around, we saw Monsieur Lefebvre, Archbishop Lefebvre, and we saw something happen. We couldn't hear what was going on from that distance, but we saw Archbishop Lefebvre had, had a priest come up behind him, someone we didn't know came up behind him, and whispered something to him, or said something to him. It was inaudible to us, of course. But Monsieur Lefebvre turned around and actually took the man by the lapels of his jacket and held him there. He didn't shake him, he held him there and said, he was speaking very vehemently to the man. We found out later what happened. That was a Novus Ordo priest, okay, who came up behind Monsieur Lefebvre and said to him, you're doing exactly what Luther did. Monsignor Lefebvre turned around to him and, you know, he, he reacted with the passion of someone who loves the faith. <laughs> and he took the man by his lapels. He wasn't going to hurt him or anything, but, I mean, Archbishop Lefebvre was pretty powerful, you know, he had very powerful hands. And he just said, who is doing what Luther did? Who is doing what Luther did? You know, in other words, you are the ones who are doing what Luther did. That's your religion. Don't you understand that? Can't you see that? Can't you look behind, behind the mere legalism <clears throat> of the, the Pharisaism of, of the modernists, you know, who, who uh, say, okay, yes, all of these things are happening, and yes, all of these things happened after Vatican II, and yes, gee, isn't it terrible? And it doesn't matter because it's all recognized by Paul, by Benedict, John Paul II, uh, by Francis, you know, and so as long as it's all recognized by them, then, I mean, you know, we just have to kind of shrug and say, well, it's all part of being Catholic. That's, uh, that is not the teaching of the Catholic Church 
not then, not ever. Okay, to to, uh, to um, accept that. Uh, we as Catholics know we have to follow in Catholic tradition that the higher authority over any pope or all the popes altogether, there is a deposit of revelation, okay, that is to be found in sacred scripture and sacred tradition. <clears throat> if a pope at Vatican II <clears throat> had taken sacred scripture <clears throat> and said, forget this, okay, we're going to rewrite this. Okay. we would have had the same reaction that we have to this. The Pope taking sacred tradition saying, forget this. We're going to rewrite this. We're going to rewrite history. And, uh, and condemn, you know, all of this has gone before. I realize those young people now who say, well, look, you know, now we can have the Latin Mass and the Novus Ordo. Again, that is simply a trap. They can check it out for themselves. The Novus Ordo tried to annihilate the traditional Mass for the first 20 years, from 1968 to 1988. And uh, that is because they, they had no intention of the traditional Catholic faith continuing to be practiced within their Novus Ordo. And they wanted to make it go away. They granted it only because they couldn't completely destroy it. <clears throat> and well, actually, that... Uh... That goes to the next question on here about the idea that uh, are we um, how the modernists got into the church and uh, the only way to defeat them is the only way to defeat them to stay within the church, stay within somehow the confines of the church, whether it's in the indult or or some other means of doing that. Because uh, if the modernists slowly over a period of time took over the church, don't we need to do the same thing? Uh, we can't expect the modernists on their own initiative to just figure out that they're, what they're doing is wrong. Um, so we as the traditionalists need to uh, get into the Norvus Ordo, fight the battle within, and overturn the current crisis. So that's, that's in a sum what the next question is, and it kind of goes to what you were saying there. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think we should do the same thing with the Lutheran Church, with the Presbyterian Church, maybe the Communist Party. We've got to infiltrate it. Okay? We're going to pretend to be communists. We're going to pretend to be Lutherans. We're going to pretend to be Presbyterians. Go along with it all, right? And with the idea that our conservative leanings will eventually move things back in that direction, okay? Uh, that would be living a lie, okay? That would be that is completely condemned by Christ, okay? That would be scandalous for us to appear to embrace a religion as though it was Catholic, and uh, <clears throat> for the sake of trying to. Uh, shall we say, deceive, <laughs> deceive people into, into uh, somehow trick them or maneuver them back toward the traditional Catholic faith again. Uh, that's not how the Catholic Church does things. I'm sorry. Uh, if you look back in time and you look at all the heresies that the Church faced, where, give me one example of the Church say, ever adopting that approach. Oh, gee, you know, look at those monothelites, look at those monophysites, look at those Donatists, look at those Arians, you know, look at the Eutychians and all that. <clears throat> you know what we've got to do? We've got to turn a bunch of Catholics to infiltrate them, okay? <clears throat> Pretend to be Eutychians, contend to accept their doctrines, and then kind of slowly turn them back toward the traditional way of thinking, right? To bring them back. I would challenge anybody to find a single instance where the Catholic Church said that that was, I not only did that, but said that it was even, even 
possible for the church in principle to approve of something like that. She has never adopted that approach. Again, you have to be a modernist to even say that's how we should do things. Mm-hmm. You have to be a modernist. You have to accept the principles of modernism. <clears throat> Again, it's not, a, it's not just a matter of you know, how people have to be thinking and feeling about this particular issue, and so I'm going to infiltrate this group, and I'm going to try to turn it a certain way uh, to, uh, to my way of thinking. First of all, it's very dishonest, I think. You know, they're being manipulated, basically. But also, it ignores the fact that this is a matter of faith. This is a matter of the virtue of faith. It's not a matter of simply uh, like uh, cajoling somebody uh, in, in, into, uh, or, or what should I say, influencing someone's way of thinking to bring them around to your point of view. <clears throat> um it is a matter. It is a matter of faith, and the only way the Catholic Church has, inter- has proceeded in these matters is by her missionaries boldly proclaiming the, the, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and saying this is the truth. Uh, you know, when the barbarians invaded uh, Europe, or what we now know as Europe, <clears throat> um, how did the church respond? I mean, the barbaric tribes were sending waves of warriors, right, with clubs and spears and so on, and swords. <clears throat> the church responded by sending monks, sending monks into the very heart of the barbarian tribal lands, you know, right into the, into the center of their, their, their holdings. The monks established monasteries. <clears throat> And the monks did not say, hey, let's start dressing like barbarians and let's start acting like barbarians and maybe we can eventually convince these barbarians to, um, you know, by subtle hints here and there, get them to accept Catholicism or our, our Christian way of life or anything like that. It's, it's absurd to think that this is the way the church proceeded. And then it all comes back to, to our Lord. You know, did our Lord ever adopt an approach like that? Did our Lord ever say, well, let me kind of schmooze with the, uh, with the uh, Pharisees, get the Sadducees, maybe we'll have lunch together and we'll talk about this, and maybe I can kind of bring them around a little bit. This, it's outrageous, the whole idea. It is so anti, anti-Christ to think like that. It's so anti-Catholic to think like that. As I say, people who are thinking like that are already thinking like good modernists. They're already thinking like good ecumenists. <clears throat> But they might, what they might say is, is that, uh, well, we're not, we're not exactly doing that, Father. We, what we are doing is, is actually more like those monks. We're not going to infiltrate the church in a, on a secret basis and, and agree with everything that they say, but rather we are going to stay within the fold of the church, and as you like to put it, in the little closet that they, that they provide, and have our traditional mass, okay, because we're going to be a good example for everyone else in the church and bring them back to us. So we're not we're not going to proclaim and say what they're doing is right, but we're we're going to, we're going to cling to the traditions over here, but within the structures of the church. Okay, here's the problem. Okay, again, it gets after that question. Within the structure of the church, which has the the Novus Ordo Mass and the Novus Sacraments. Okay, so by doing that, they are in fact proclaiming that that is Catholic. They are in communion with that. They're in full communion with that. Okay, they are accepting that as Catholic. And whether they go to it or not, I mean, it's a contradiction to say, oh, I can't go to that Novus Ordo Mass because it's not Catholic, but I am officially, legally, uh, and morally in communion with it and its members 
professing that we are all one religion, we're all one faith, we're all one church. The only alternative is to say, well, we're all one church, but we're not all one faith. We're all one church, but we're not all one religion. So you have multiple religions, even if it's just two. You, know, you have multiple religions in the same church that Christ established. That's a heresy. They have to admit that that's true, though. If they can't go to the Novus Ordo, if they won't go because they're not Catholic, then what are they doing there? You know, they are professing a lie. Okay, if they say, "Well, it is Catholic; it's just inferior," it was Catholic. They have to go to it. They have to accept it. They have no right to refuse it if it is Catholic. If that is compatible with the, with the Catholic faith, uh, then if I thought that was compatible with the Catholic faith, even though I didn't like it, I'd do it. I would accept it in obedience. And again, that's the difference between traditional Catholics and the modern Catholics. <clears throat> they feel free to pick and choose. Uh, I don't like that Novus Ordo. I want that Novus Ordo. I don't agree with Novus Ordo. I'm not going to take the Novus Ordo. But I'm allowed to have my, my Latin Mass. So I'm going to have my Latin Mass with the approval, you know, of the Holy See. But if, if, if the, even here, I mean, the Holy See has given me the approval for my Latin Mass. But if the Holy See <clears throat> tells me I have to go to the Novus Ordo, I'm going to say, no, I won't go. Right. You know, so... It's dishonest. Mm-hmm. It's just bald-faced dishonesty. The traditional Catholics are the ones who actually have the spirit of obedience. We long for a true Catholic pontiff. We long for the voice of Peter. We don't hear it from Francis, that's for sure. That's not the voice of Peter. <clears throat> we haven't heard the voice of Peter for a long time. And that's why the church is suffering the way she is. She's suffering terribly. And the Nova Soto Church is all fragmented. You know? and, um, and it's because of that. The, 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 the they're not hearing the voice of the shepherd, you know. So <clears throat> we have the we have the spirit of obedience. We want a pope. We want to obey. We want a voice we can obey in conscience. We're actually suffering a great deal because we don't have that. I mean, true traditional Catholics are. Uh, I mean, let's face it, uh, Jim. We we are the ones who are longing for the true voice of Peter again. Because he realized that even the troubles that traditional Catholics have, as I mentioned before, the different groups professing to follow Catholic tradition, but often not really, the only remedy for that is the voice of Peter. He's the only one who can remedy that problem by saying authoritatively, I tell you, this is the way to go. And if he were following Catholic tradition, I believe we would all go that way. We'd all follow without any hesitation at all. Father, I thank you very much for your thoughts tonight. I, I did want to uh, tie together what you had spoken about earlier in the show and, and something you, you mentioned, and that is the idea that, the, that Protestantism birthed modernism. Um, and I can tell you, you also talked about the, the evolution of the modernism as well. And I, I think that's interesting because that, that, that is really true. If, if Protestantism birthed it, I can tell you the difference between modernism and, and Protestantism for the most part is that Protestants are not accepting of other faiths, mm. not, e- not even of mm. each other. I mean, they, they come over to the Americas, not for freedom of religion, but for freedom for their religion. Right. And if anyone didn't agree with them, then they'd kick them out or, mm. you know. I they, mean, were, they actually came to escape each other. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> you know, it was the Protestants. Catholics who first had the first uh, religious toleration mm. here in, in the Americas. You know, that's a very good point, Jim. It wasn't the Catholics who were persecuting Protestants, and therefore they had to leave and come to Perth. Not wrong. The Protestants were fleeing Protestants right. because the Protestants had control in Egypt. In England at the time, and the uh, and the progression though in, into the modernism and in the church is 
exactly what you said. When, when people start to uh, accept and, and think that way, that they can be within the folds of the church uh, somehow, that they're becoming modernists, they're becoming ecumenists, that idea, that is the uh, evolution, as you said, mm. of Protestantism to the next level of now, well, yes, we'll just accept whatever anyone wants to believe into the fold. And, that, mm. and that's what the modernist movement has, has really done. That's what's so frightening about it. Mm. So uh, I just thought it was very interesting. How well, you, you know, you have a certain insight into yeah. this because you went to some schools that were. Right, right. Uh, yeah. So you have some firsthand knowledge uh, mm. of, of this very thing. Right, right. So. Well, thank you very much for your insight tonight, Father. Well, you're welcome, Jim. Thank you. And thanks to our questioners. Okay. Um, the, uh, we still have some more questions uh, about the uh, indult mass, and we will uh, tackle those in our uh, future shows. We thank you very much for sending uh, the questions so far. They've been very good, and they're very pertinent to issues that are important to all of us now. If you have any other questions, please feel free to uh, send them to the email that is now on the screen. We appreciate your support. We most especially appreciate your prayers and ask that you keep uh, praying for us and we will pray for you. And please remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima to pray, make sacrifice, and consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart. Thank you. <laughs>